Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me Podcast, and today I've got a real gentleman and an absolute superman of the podcasting world. Today I'm talking to Stuart Whiffin. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm very good. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a little while since. I, it seems like it's it's a weird thing at the moment, isn't it? Because it seems like I've seen a lot of you, <laughs> but I ain't seen you for in the flesh for a lot for quite a few months now. Last time I, I've been all right, mate. I've been all right. I think the last time I see you was when you just set up the podcast and you you come into the studio in London to do the um, one with Lane Henning. Oh yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I really appreciate uh, uh, that. <laughs> No, the one where she done it twice because she didn't press record that one. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and it, it was the fact that not only, you know, it weren't a five-minute job, the poor woman had been speaking for 45 minutes of pure gold, opened her soul up to me, and uh, did, what was my, you were a witness, what was my face like that day? Uh, uh, it was It was honestly like someone had just, like, just pulled the soul from your body, you empty you would just look like you, you, you was apologizing profusely and she was just being completely wonderful she was and, uh, and i was just like i think i'd been telling you to do the backup i i'd put a backup recorder in there as well okay. yes and i went press record on that one you didn't press record on that one either and you've done something wrong on your own one so there was two things that didn't record yeah, it was a what they what they call it in. It's a double fuck up. <laughs> exactly it. <laughs> but yeah, I've not seen you since then. I mean, obviously, you know, we we spoke on the phone and yeah, uh, and and obviously we 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 see each other's gubbins on on the socials and, and you know we, we yeah. you know we, we, you're all part of a you know you're part of this kind of nice little community of of, of people that you know that live where we live that. You know, dabbling podcasting and and kind of yeah, sort of a, a lot of mutual sharing of love on each other's projects, which is you know a really nice place to be. It is, and it's interesting because it's it's quite a small little area, isn't it? Thurrock is like an mm. odd place, I find, for all of this, all of these people to come together. <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's yeah. a lot of us in Thurrock South End. You know, it's it's unusual, isn't it? It is, and and. and 
it's, it's one of the things I, I remember, like a mutual friend who we, who I guess we kind of met through was, was Scroobius Pitt. Yeah. And, 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 and I've worked with Pitt for about, about 10 years now. And when like his music career sort of took off, the, the amount of people that were like, Oh, are you going to move to London now? And he was like, nah. <laughs> and, 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 it, and I find that really fascinating that, you know, if you're doing something creative, um, you know, and whether that be, you know, hairdressing, you know, very much an art form, you know, the same as, you know, making music or painting, you know, that the, there's always that kind of, I don't know if it's a myth or not, I still don't know, that, well, you should go to London. Yeah. You know, the streets are paved with gold. That's where the opportunity lies. And it's like, well, is it? And and I think if you can create a community where you live with like-minded people that are, are all striving for the same thing and are all, you know, helping each other, I think, you, you know, you can alleviate that kind of, that expected, you know, that expected thing that you have to then relocate to London because that's where it's at. And I think, you know, through the amount of people that I've met through London and, and you know, that we've collectively ended up working with, it's wonderful, and I think it's it's great that it can happen in a in, in an area where where Tharrock, if you you know if you if you used to look at Tharrock and, and and start to sort of pick apart the roots of it and and you know how it evolved and and it's certainly in my lifetime fundamentally a you know a, a right wing stronghold you know was you know back in the sort of eighties and nineties it was a, a BNP voted in area yeah and you know it's it's not the nicest of places and probably not the most encouraging of places if you're artistic or if you're from a minority or, you know, whatever you're, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's a rough, it's a rough place. Because you get beat uh, up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is the, this is the first time I've told anyone in Thurrell I've got a podcast. Don't tell anyone, mate. But, uh, but it, but it is, you know, it is. and And I find it, really interesting that you know when you start to sort of scratch the surface of these areas you know you do find so many you know really really interesting people that do some wonderful things that don't necessarily get you know talked about down the pub because it's not what people from our area do you know people from our area you know go down the pub have a beer and and you know watch the football Right. Not that there's anything wrong with any of them. No, 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 nothing wrong with any of that. And you know, like you got to, you got to think fondly of where you come from. But having said that, it, it's been interesting when I've heard Pip talk about that as well. You know, like when he says about I come from this area, um, and he, mm. and it, because you live there, it's just where you come from. But I suppose it is a mm. little bit rough around the edges, and it is a little bit uh, impoverished. Uh, and it's you know, when when I look at the classifications of it being quite an impoverished area um you think it didn't really feel like that (laughs) yeah yeah but you say that one of the things that we've got a a huge you know area of common ground is we both grew up in boxing clubs and you know and we you know we've got a huge passion for, for for mixed martial arts but you know that was one of the first things that my folks done when i was you know at the right age was like right he needs to learn how to look after himself. And it was one of the first things that, that I had to do when I was a kid. And purely because my, my parents grew up in Tilbury, which is, you know, just as rough, if not rougher. Yeah. And and it was like, that's right, you needed to be able to stand up for yourself. And and so I was shipped off to go and learn 
and to, you know, I guess hold my hands up should someone want to give me a click around the ear roll. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, it's, and, and it sounds stupid, but I've done it with my daughter straight away. I was like, as soon as my kids were five, I was like, right, come on, you're coming down the club. Yeah. When you learn how to look after yourself. And I don't think that's just something that, I, you know, I'd, I'd apply to our area. I think that's, a, a, you know, a, a life skill that's really good to have that confidence that you can stand up for yourself. And I think what you get out of, you know, learning a, a, a combat sport is a, an incredible amount of discipline uh, and, and, and a wonderful sense of community as well. I think, I mean, I had Steve Kerridge on my podcast and he, I think he underestimated the amount of um, community good that he, he's done over the years. And, and a lot of boxing clubs and kickboxing clubs like that, they, I think they, they don't realise what a central part of the community they are and what, you know, how they bring people together. And I think that people that don't step foot in them clubs have a very interesting view on it, that it's going to be spit and sawdust, you're going to come out of there caked in blood and everyone's trying to take your head off in there because it was definitely my my what I envisaged it would be and what I actually got from that was something completely different I, I got a complete new gang of mates uh, and you know and, and I've never seen you know I, 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 I where I sort of lived until about five years ago overlooked uh, like a local sort of playing field where they do Sunday league football and the brawls and stuff that I would see kicking a football around, you know, a load of fat old men like kicking a football around on a Sunday afternoon, taking lumps out of each other. And I just think, I'm, you know, you stand in a, in a ring or whatever and, and someone's punching you. There's no, there's, there's, it's, it's hard to explain that there, there's, there's places that, you know, there's a limit that you go to within that. And if you for a moment thought you'd hurt someone, You'd be mortified, wouldn't you? Like talking about training, respect that you have, and and I see more respect in in places like boxing gyms than I do when I see lots of other sports. You know, or, or, you know, and, and football. I'm talking about necessarily, I guess specifically. Sorry, um, like Sunday league football. I just think sometimes I just look at it. And I just think, get yourself down a boxing club if you've got that much anger in you. Yeah, and you need to get it out. Go and get it out in a disciplined environment. And I, and I find, yeah, and it's, it's yeah, very, very strange. Very, very strange. But, um, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't dislike where I've grown up. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm fiercely proud of where I've grown up. I just, as, as to echo what Pip said, I just happen to be born here. Yeah. Uh, and I've lived here all my life and my family's here. Yeah. My friends are here. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of here and, and I make the best of it. And to go full circle... I've come back to, you know, a, a place now where I'm surrounded by lots of really interesting, creative people doing amazing things. And they're the people that I like to surround myself with. Yeah. Hence, I'm here today. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, sir. I'll say that. <laughs> there's, there's five so many Stuarts as well, isn't there? We've got a lovely... Oh, Stuart. way too many, mate. <laughs> it gets very confusing. <laughs> but, uh, take me back, sir. So when you were, you know, what was your young influence then? Why did you get so, what hooked you with music? Because you're so heavily into music. Uh, just to the right of this uh, screen where I'm sitting is a double album, a gatefold album. Let me get it for the video purposes. 
got it for Christmas. And it's now that's what I call music. <laughs> the first ever one. Is it number one? It's number one. Is it? And uh, and this is this is the original that I got. I've, I've since bought another one because I have this one on display. Uh, I think the Now That's What I Call Music kind of albums are not the sort of thing I'd ever really listen to now because they're just, you know, things you get for Christmas as a kid. Um, but I remember getting that and seeing all of these pop stars yeah. on the sleeve and then being able to open it up Oh. and see more pictures of them. But more importantly, Stu, the thing that I got from it was it tells you where it got to in the charts. It gives you all the nerdy information. Yeah. And I would obsess over that. And if I hear any one of the tracks on that album now on the radio, when it finishes, I just think, oh, well, it's, uh, it's going to be You Can't Hurry Love by Phil Collins on next course it is, because that track listing is so ingrained in my head because I played that album to death. Um, and then, you know, and there's some great stuff on there. Um, you know, it's madness on there, the cure and UV 40 and Duran Duran. And yeah, it's, it's just all the stuff that was obviously huge hits, um, in 1983, I believe. So I would have been 10. Um, yeah. And it just absolutely kickstarted a, an obsession with pop stars, pop facts and, 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 and just obsessing over top of the pops. Um, and, and, and that was something that just used to blow my mind. I'd, I'd sit there with the, the, the Betamax, you know, and record it and just watch back videos of, of, you know, Top of the Pops and the chart show and things like that. I'd obsess over it. And and it just kind of got hold of me, really. And then just I would I'd just become, a, a you know, all my pocket money went on records. There used to be a place in Grays, Town Centre. I don't know if you remember, Stu, but where, where that um, – this is very specific to anybody that's lived where we live. Um, where all the estate agents are in Grays, yeah. um, along London Road, uh, there, there used to be a little news agent there called Saxons. Or Saxons. Oh, they're Saxons, yeah. Yeah. And in there, they had a rack, a, like a rotating rack of ex-jukebox singles. So when the records come out of the jukebox, when they were done with, so they were like old news, they were like, you know, a year out of date from the charts. They'd plonk them in that rack and sell them for like 50p. And so I used to go like religiously down to Grace every Saturday and just trawl through them and just like spend me three quid a week or whatever I had pocket money on on records and just go on, play them and play them and play them. So I guess that was the initial kind of, you know, it certainly wasn't cool music I was listening to. Yeah. There was nothing, you know, particularly credible. It was it was all the pop music that was 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 on the charts, you know, and it was yeah, I've just and in 1983 when you you know you look at the people on the cover of here, you know, there's Culture Club, Limol, you know, Duran Duran, Kajagoogoo, but they look like they've been beamed down from outer space. Do you know what I mean? They, you know, it was a whole new romantic thing. So they just looked incredible. Yeah, and I remember just thinking like, where where are these people from? Like, because I'm for a fact they weren't walking around Grays. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I was. Because I was a bit, I was more like a soul boy, you know, like going to zero uh, six and and you know, like you got the gold mine, Hollywood's gold mine. Yeah, yeah, got thrown out of there a couple of times. It was <laughs> 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 and uh, possessing Grace, I found the, yep. end the the way out. They escorted me out the back door of that one, bumped me on every wall on the way out. <laughs> and, uh, but, <laughs> but it was a, like, we was really into. Because I'm sort of ten years before that, so 
And funny, a similar thing, me and a guy I was training hairdressing with in Stanford Leo, there's a little record shop there. And whoever on a Friday, we got paid on a Friday, whoever got their lunch first, <laughs> one would go at one, one go at 12, would get over the record shop first. You know, and I'll never forget, I've got the 12-inch pink vinyl Edwin Starr eye-to-eye contact. Oh, what a record. <laughs> I, I, was on, I was on lunch before Mark, and I got come back like with this single thing that, you know, that, <laughs> and he was so jealous. <laughs> But I've got a great Edwin Star story for you. Go on, sorry. Are you for, you carry on? Tell me a story. So we booked him because I, I, I you know, I, I run a club in Essex, um, like in, in, in Rayleigh, uh, which was, you know, it's more of a sort of specialist club. Uh, it's called the Pink Toothbrush, and it's kind of, you know, they play lots of kind of guitar music and punk music, but they'd also like put on hip hop and we put on, we used to have scooter nights. So we'd have all the Northern Soul playing and we'd have all the sort of scooter clubs that all turn up and uh, for, for that kind of sort of scooter scene. And, and so we do, I reckon about 15 years ago, we'd done like a sort of retrospective night and played some Northern Soul and we booked Edwin Starr. It wasn't long before he passed away. And he'd come on and he'd done, um, 25 miles and war and eye eye contact. And then there was there was a few like the old school kind of skinheads had turned up. And uh, and one of them shouted, because he was, he was doing it to a backing track. Like he didn't have a band with him. Someone shouted out, he's fucking miming. And he just shouted to the guy that was controlling the, the backing tape. He was like, stop the music, stop the music. And he was like, the Northern Soul. Uh, gang, uh, the Northern Soul scene has kept me, has kept a roof over my head for the last 15 years, you know, playing these type of events. I would never, ever, ever mind. Edwin Starr don't mind. And he went, don't worry about the music. And he went, have this one. And he sung Cupid by Sam Cooke, a cappella. Yeah. And it was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. And this kind of geezer that would shout it out that he was miming, I could just see in the background his music's been in my right ear as well. So yeah, shut up, mate. Like Edwin Starr absolutely took the roof off. No music, just belting out the Sam Cooke uh, Cook classic. Amazing, mate. Well, because no, that was when I was going to talk about clubs, I used to go to a place called Crocs. Mm. <laughs> so then when are <laughs> you showing your eyes now, <laughs> And I went in there, and there was a there was a freaking crocodile in there, a little baby like caiman thing was in there, mm. and uh, which is alligator. Like, it was actually an alligator. Oh, was it little alligator? Was it? An alli- yeah, yeah. Uh, an interesting fact on that as well, Stu. Um, every time we renew our license. Yeah. One of the Boltons is a wild animal license and it costs us about another 30 quid a year, but we still pay for it. Yeah. I mean, that, that crocodile went out of there, blimey, 1984, something like that. Uh, but we still, yeah, I mean, we've had a few choice customers over the years that we probably did need a wild animals license for. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but generally, yeah, for some reason we've kept it. Yeah. Well, I... I, I um. It was because uh, at that sort of time when I was talking about that we used to, you know, go to like Room at the Top and um, all these places and one of our mates started getting into the new romantic scene 
And he said, you've got to come with me one night. So we, we went with him to the Blitz. And Steve, wow. Yeah, we went to the Blitz. Steve Strange was on the door. And you know there's sometimes someone thinks they know you? Because you, he was literally picking people out who could go in and who couldn't. Yeah. Like when he was you scale all the time, he was a bit dressed up like it, but we weren't. We, it was just like, oh, we'll cut the fellas. And we went to go in, and he went, oh, all right. And I'm going, yeah, all right, <laughs> And uh, he let us in. Um, and I thought, I, I thought, I, you know, work, like working class lad, I thought, I don't like this. This is a bit much for me. <laughs> all these men with makeup. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, all these women started coming in with little tiny skirts and stockings and suspenders. And no, look, you're well, right. I, might, I might stick around for another one. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I was wearing me mate Daryl's ass, I was, uh, putting me lipstick on. <laughs> <laughs> so we couldn't see me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was amazing, you know, and all of a sudden. and the thought of yeah this is this is not for me and then it was but what a wonderful world it, it was right at the height of of you know uh, steve strange and all of that just beginning to happen and then we ended up going to clubs all around london during that time it was amazing yeah i'm done i'm well jealous of that like that that whole kind of scene you know i'd love to have experienced like for, for those that are like uh, not too sure joining the dots from the crocs Connection to the Pink Toothbrush, the Crocs become a Pink Toothbrush. Um, and I, I joined there in 1991. So that whole scene and the, 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 the big history of, you know, the fact that Culture Club played their first ever show at Crocs and, you know, the resident band was Depeche Mode and, you know, all of that kind of scene. You know, it seems so weird that a very London centric, you know, kind of creative sort of, you know, flamboyant art scene would find its way out to a sleepy little town in. Rayleigh, which yeah. is bizarre. And and I do think it's the fact that we committed at that point to offer a safe haven for the weird and wonderful at the Pink Toothbrush or Crocs. <laughs> that that's the reason why all of the other clubs that you've mentioned are no longer here, because so many of them clubs were fashionable clubs that would follow fashion, whereas the toothbrush has never been fashionable in the slightest. Uh, you know, we're dreadfully unfashionable, but we have a style and it's a very unique style. And I think it means that, you know, when people ring up and go, you know, what's the what's the dress code? It's like, wear a tutu, mate. Doesn't matter. Wear whatever you want. And the amount of people that come up and we get some lads turn up, like geezers, and they're like, it's a gay club. And we're obviously completely gay friendly at, at the toothbrush. Yeah. It's a gay club, and I'm like, "Give us a kiss." I tell you, mate, back <laughs> off, mate. Ain't coming in there. And it's like, good. We don't want you. <laughs> it's because um, it, it it's funny, yeah. As you say, a lot of that came from that area. Well, uh, Roy, who was in Culture Club, used to work in the hairdressers for me because he used to come from Collingham. Stamford boy, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was where the salon was. So, you know that that, and he was. Uh, it was at a time when he first used to go up there with us and then he met George and, and it all sort of kicked off from there. And it just, yeah, it's such a funny time that, isn't it? That, yeah. um, but then the next thing I think was the uh, emergence of the rave scene. Mm. And I, you know, I never forget my first airport experience. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like a diehard um, drinker 
you know, go out, get smashed up, uh, and then, and I hated drugs. I thought, anyway, it's this terrible thing. And uh, then I just ended up, and someone gave me this pill, and I go, these are a load of crap, aren't they? <laughs> Next thing, I, I was on this podium dancing for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> With my nature that I've got, that was me for about five years. And yeah. Lucky enough, I sort of then uh, got rid of it. But what an, uh, an absolutely amazing time, you know, Guildford, and it, the literal, like, going around the airport, the, the M25, and you get the phone call and the minibus full of it, and you turn up. Energy, I think, was at Guildford, and there was, like, 40,000 people there or something yeah. in this bill. I was, like, I think I was, like, 15, 16. Again, I just missed that, and I'm gutted. Yeah. I'd love to have experienced that. It, 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 it was, it was, um, and it... Uh, like an out-of-body experience. I know a lot of drugs was I know a lot of that stuff. It wasn't just about, but I must really emphatically say it wasn't just about that because there was this other, this shared experience. And I'm not a great, great musical person. I'm a bit more of a visual person. Um, but even I could understand the, the resonance of music coming through people, you know, and that yeah. experience. It was, it was, uh, it just, it, it was elated, you know, like, incredible. Yeah. It, it, it looked like such a coming together of people from whatever background. It was like it's just it just seemed to it, you know I'm, I'm obsessed with that 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 era as well. I, I watched every possible documentary on it, and and on my music podcast, I've, I've you know I've any chance to speak to you know a, a, a DJ or somebody that was involved in like the hacienda or, or you know the, the rave scene, and uh, you know I just it just. I'm just obsessed with like that kind of coming together of people and what was, you know, I guess the second summer of love for want of a better yeah. description, you know, and, and, you know, whatever your views are on, on ecstasy and things like that, it, it definitely propelled a movement that is ingrained in a lot of people. And, you know, it, it seemed to come at a time when, you know, I guess we, it was still Thatcher then, wasn't it? And, and, and I just think people wanted that escapism. And, and I think the fact that all of a sudden people took control of that situation and didn't need to go to glitzy clubs and pay loads of money for bottles of champagne and, and bottles of beer. It was like, oh, hang on, we can go to a field with a couple of bottles of water, there not be any trouble, oh. and everybody can just hug each other and yeah. dance. It was only a matter of time before the government were going to be, whoa, hang on a minute. Let's bring in that criminal justice act and let's fucking <laughs> shut this down. And and I just and I think like I just think it's a shame. I just think that you know there's you know what what a moment to you know be out clubbing to experience that kind of connection with people. I'm I'm I, I'm very very jealous that you got to experience. That. I'll just yeah I'd, I'd love to have, have, have had a bit of that. It was incredible because you you at that time we're not we're not far away from previous to that was the proper worst time of football hooliganism. Like, that was at its height in the late 70s. You know, and then we got to the 80s and then all of a sudden, all of these, and these diehard sort of football hooligan rules still at it, you know, and then the next thing, they've all found out this, they're all at raves and you've got all the Millwall and the West Ham and all that and they're all dancing together and hugging each other. You know, it was a great oh. anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, I think anything that creates such a, a powerful movement like that and yeah. starts, you know, to kind of gather such momentum, and the fact that 
you know, people, sport, drugs, music, all seem to align. You know, that's a very powerful thing. And I just think the government would just like, right, hang on, we need to work out how to stop this because it's, it's a, you know, I mean, how much money must be, t- you know, revenue does, does alcohol make? And the fact that people weren't drinking it, you know, they were like, they didn't need it. You know, it was like, just have a bottle of water. It must have been like, oh, Christ, what's happening? Like, you know, and, and I just think everything just proved, you know, proved that when people come together, it's quite a powerful thing. And, you know, for, for good and bad, but I think the government just thought, we're losing control of something here and so we need to stop this and I just yeah it's a shame well it's an interesting it's an interesting thing isn't it because um there's a there's a lot to be said for that um I know that the you know because I obviously I've got to to reiterate even though I've said quite a bit about being drunk and on drug all these things that I am 14 years sober so I'm yeah I'm really like do advocate uh people not getting to the point that I got to. So yeah. whatever they do, do responsibly, don't overdo anything. And, you know, um, but the, the government, like you say, it, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's almost like you could think that they want to keep us asleep because there's, um, there's, uh, I've, I've tried so many, so many years uh, to work with people with addictions and things like that. And the government could quite easily stop a lot of that. And they've even had the opportunity when they was going to do a big tax on the cheap, cheap alcohol. And funny enough, it never got passed. Mm. Now, I don't know whether that's because if you add up how much revenue comes in from the cheap alcohol, you know, like 15% of the population has got an, uh, an alcohol problem. Um, uh, and 85% of the alcohol is bought by 15% of the population. So there's there's a, a definite link to, you know, wow. sales. So it, it, and they had that opportunity to try and make that a little, it shouldn't be as affordable as that. That's, that's one of the things, you know. One of the things that that also is doing is, is killing club culture. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I don't know how it was for, for you when you was going to the gold mine and, and, and stuff like that. But for me, when I was growing up, you know, we'd we'd go to the pub, have a few pints, and then we'd go to a club. Uh, but as somebody that's still promoting club nights, you know, I'd be in the pub at like 8 o'clock, meeting my mates, and we'd start drinking at 11 o'clock, wherever we'd go in the club. But now kids go to supermarkets. I say kids, you know. Yeah. Young young people go to go to um, a supermarket, buy twenty four cans of lager for like nine quid. Yeah, and and so what that has in turn done is is kind of that's why so many pubs, you know, aren't trading anymore. You know, because supermarkets make alcohol so cheap. Yeah. You know, so affordable. We're about to, you know, I don't want to just keep on banging on about alcohol, you know, with you, Stu, because obviously, no. you know, last time last time we recorded together, I completely <laughs> forgot you was 14 years sober. And I was like, yeah, come round me bar and we'll have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> I reassured you very quickly. You did, mate. You did. You touched on something earlier, Stu, that I just want to, you know, sorry, I'm being podcaster here, but I just want to 
Um, you, you said something when you, I think it was when you were talking about, you know, you got a taste for the, uh, that and you was like, oh, then, you know, being the way I am, I wanted more of that. Aside from like, you know, drink and, and, and you know, you know, you know, drugs or whatever, was you always somebody that was like a very, had a very addictive personality with anything that you enjoyed? I still am. Really? Yeah. yeah. I have to constantly, it's a constant thing. With the bright, it's a constant battle. So you you have to constantly be aware of anything. You know, it could be it could be I can obsess on anything. Uh, you you know, if you you've kindly offered to come round my house and you know when we're out of lockdown and help me out a bit, you might just, just ask me kids. <laughs> but I said what I'm into that month, you know. Um, yeah. And it, it it's just something you've got to be careful of. Um, yeah. And what see the thing is with people when they've got this sort of personality, they're, they're, they're trying to fix something that's missing, yeah. Um, and you can't fix something internal with external stuff, um, yeah. So you, you, you end up it's it's you find it for wherever you can, um, and half the time you don't even know what you want. But yeah. the, the, the difficult what you have to be really careful of is things that are, that are effective. That booze is really effective because what it does, it instantly changes the way you feel. Yeah, um, I've been really lucky that I've not uh, been affected by it. But gambling is another instant. I mean, I've seen people yeah. with roulette machines that, you know, the, the, the modern day roulette machines are like the crack cocaine of, of gambling. Yeah. You know, people just banging away at it. But you can see they're not even enjoying it. There's that that thing, and and of course, uh, where someone can, you know, I'm not condoning, but you know, some some people can responsibly partake in some drugs or something they, they, other people it will always be more and more and more you know, it, mm. you know nothing will never be enough uh it can be anything i drink too much coffee honestly <laughs> i buy too many trainers that i can't afford to buy <laughs> 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 i've only got two feet i've only got two feet oh, no. they're two of my biggest vices coffee and shoes mate uh, i love a pair of trainers it don't make sense i've got yeah. seven watches mate right <laughs> i mean Six of them are fake that I bought abroad. Oh, mate, I've got three of them. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's the human condition. But just some people like myself are a bit wired, a little bit wonky. Yeah. And it, and it, but as long as you, you know, like you can only strive, you know, you're never going to get perfection, but you just strive to keep a balance in your life. Yeah. That's 100%. the most important thing, you know, is it, for that. You addicted to fucking music, you know, a podcast. Yeah, oh, no, I, I, I am, I am. But that, 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 that's what, like, I, I use them things. I use music and I use creating stuff as, as a almost as a coping mechanism and as, as a distraction. Um, when we went into lockdown, I was like, oh my god, because I, you know, like you, you know, I like being around people and I like networking with people and, and, and just seeing and finding opportunities to do, you know, interesting things. And all of a sudden I was confined to my shed at the end of the garden. And thankfully, you know, I had a little setup to, to record podcasts and little radio shows and, and people laugh at me and he'll just go, how many have you done this week? And I was like, well, I recorded six yesterday. And he's like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, but it keeps, it keeps me connected with people sitting doing what we're doing now over zoom it's like you know and that's why you know i asked you what i just asked you because i like learning about people and 
and I'm interested in people's stories and and, and via doing you know doing things via Zoom, what initially was a a knee jerk oh shit I'm gonna have to do something next I can't sit in a room with someone, and the first time I done this it was really strange I was like. You know, because the whole thing you get from a conversation is it's lovely being in a room with someone and feeling the atmosphere of the room and the body language. And and to then have to do it over a computer felt quite strange. And then I kind of, you know, like, you know, like musicians, you know, musicians then couldn't gig, so they'd start doing gigs online. And, and I think, you know, creative people then stop and reset and, you know, you have your ups and downs and your knee-jerk responses of, oh, what am I going to do and how am I going to do this? But then you start to really think and then, it's that whole kind of punk DIY attitude of like, right, well, I've got limited resources, limited funds, so what can I do within them? And I think sometimes some really positive stuff can come from that. And that's what happened. And I quite quickly realised that, oh, hang on a minute. So, you know, I run events and, I, you know, I work in music and such, and, and I'm not working. So that must mean there must be lots of people like me that are not working, that are missing connecting with people. Let's start sending them some messages saying, do you want to come and talk about your life and your music? And what now has changed is I don't have to invite them to the end of my garden to have them conversations. So I don't have to limit myself to like London and Essex. It's like just before lockdown, I, I, I got the train to Bristol to, to interview a guy from a band and, and, you know, and then come back the same day. Probably spent about 80, 90 quid on, you know, train fares and, you know, food and God knows what. And, and I've done six in a day on Zoom, but not with people from Essex, but with people from all over the world. And it's like, because all of these kind of interesting creative type people have still got something to say and they've got nowhere to say it at the moment. And so if they can come on a podcast and hype their new record that they've made, yeah. I'm all up for it. And it's, so it's, it's given me a chance to kind of reach out and have guests like Public Enemy and Mel Steve from the Spice Girls that never in a million years were they ever going to, trundle into London and sit in my studio or come to me back gardening greys, it was never going to happen. But it's enabled me to have them conversations just through sending them a message going, do you want to have a chat? And it's like, you know, we all haven't got the, the star-studded power that Stuart Roberts has to get Lane Heady just to pop down <laughs> and uh, <laughs> record, you know. <laughs> but, mate, you've had, and, and there's a couple of things there, what you've just said. You, I mean, I, you've had some blinding, guests on recently you know and this the freedom of this new format has given like it made it so accessible but mm. mate you're on a on a roll like with, with some amazing guests but it's I, been really good well it has been it's like really but i want to jump back a little bit because you said you've done six the other day and and i noticed it a, a couple of weeks ago you put on oh i've done five in a day and that's when i immediately recognized the addiction, because I was like, we well, didn't need to do five in a day, did you? Like, but there's this preconceived idea that addictions are all bad. See, there's some yeah. really healthy, positive addictions, you know. Yeah. And as you say, if you're getting something positive out and you're doing it, but there's that little bit of pushing, you know, you've got that thing of pushing yourself. That and, <laughs> and there is downsides to that, Stu. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, what are you sacrificing to do that? And at the moment, I'm not necessarily sacrificing anything because I've got a nightclub that's shut, you know, and I've got kids that are now back at school. I've got a wife that's at work. So, okay, so what am I going to do in my time? You know, I've got the magazine and that kind of takes care of itself. 
So I'm going to try and pursue the things that give me joy. Yeah. And, and that happens to be having these kind of conversations. And, and I think as long as the positives outweigh the negatives, then I don't see any fault in it. But, and I think, and if the kind of quality or content of what I'm trying to do is ever, you know, compromised, where it feels like I'm just doing it for the sake of it, I'd really want someone to go, mate, that weren't very good. Like, and tell me, because it'd be the same as if I'd had eight or nine pints of sport everyone's night because I caused a massive row or something. I want someone to go, mate, you need to have a look at that. And yeah. like, and and I think all the time that it is just being, a, you know, it feels a positive thing because I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite driven as a person, yeah. and like, and I and I want to really build this podcast into being something, you know, really good, but. It's what makes it really good. And then that's one of the other downsides is I had to stop it because I was every like twice a day I was looking at my stats. How many have listened? Why have less, why have less people listened today than yesterday? I had fat boy slim on today. What what and, and it was like, hang on a minute, right? Yeah. That's out of your control. You know, you can just do your marketing, but it's out of your control. You need to not get hung up on that. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Right. Focus on that part of it. You know, and I like, and and it does just come down to the fact that I'm just half the time I'm I'm chatting to people that have had such an impact on my life. You know, like I'm, if you would have told me in 1988 that I'd be talking to Chuck D from Public Enemy, I'd never believed you. You know, like it blew that band blew my mind. He's one of my absolute heroes, and to sit and ask him questions, it was just it was ridiculous, Joe, and. And, yeah, and just bands that I've grown up loving and bands that some of them aren't famous, you know, or, or aren't, you know, successful anymore. And, but, you know, they, they were a very important part of my life. And to get to ask them the questions that I've never in a million years have got to ask them back then, I love it. You know, I love just, you know, finding out how people create things, how people, you know, approach writing a song. How, I mean, the, the, one of my favourite questions, and I... Um, Fran Healy, the singer from Travis, on last night. And I said to him, and, and I asked Fat Boy Slim this, and anyone that's been on top of the pops, how was it when you got that call saying you was going to be on top of the pops and did it deliver? And I'm fascinated because that show was intrinsic to me. And, like, you know, it's in the very fabric of all of us, you know, of our generation, that Thursday nights you watched Top of the Pops. That's where you saw all your pop stars, that's where you got to see what was going on in, in music. And, you know, to hear, you know, Fat Boy Slim go, oh, well, we, we, it was the House Martins and we got told you might get it, you might not, you might get it, you might not. Then we got a phone call and it's like, you're on top of the pops. And he was like, oh, my God. And I went, who else was on? He went, Paul McCartney, Depeche, he remembered every other band that was on in his first time. And he went, and Fran Healy said to me last night, he went, I, I remember thinking, walking in Wogan House and thinking, I'm in the BBC. And he said, and every single Thursday night comes flooding back to me. And he went, oh, my God, I'm going to be in the television. And I just thought that was amazing that he said, <laughs> I'm going to be in the television on top of the pops. And I just thought, and I just, I love it. You know, I like kind of realising, and 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 because they're just skin and bone, aren't they? They might be the people that you see on the telly and in the magazines, but they're just skin and bone, do you know what I mean? And, and, and they have, you know, I ask all of them, you know, 
are they confident people? Do they have imposter syndrome? And they're all like, I am not a confident person. I'm driven, but I'm not confident. But, oh, my God, he said, like, literally, most of them say, like, I get imposter syndrome every day, you know, and I find that. And I find it's really nice to kind of hear that kind of side of people, you know, to, you know, to kind of offer up that vulnerability and go, yeah, of course I get, you know, imposter syndrome. I think, yeah, I find that 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 a, a really interesting, you know, part of the conversation as well. So, but it is, and it is also me doing the amount of podcasts I do is something that keeps my mental health where I need it to be. Because a few times, I've been really lucky with my mental health, but a few times this year, lots of things that have been staples in my life are no longer there. And so it felt like a bit of a void. And so I'd always always be like, right, well, what am I going to do next? And then it felt, about a month and a half ago, it felt like all of them things were like, well, I'll just do something, I'll, I'll start that. And I felt like I didn't have the energy to do that anymore. And I felt for the first time, like I kind of started to sort of just think, oh, shit, like I don't know what to do. You know, I've got that, but I've lost that and I've lost that and I've lost that. Like, and the podcast is great, but I'm not going to keep a roof over my head with it. And and it's like, oh, shit, like what, what am I going to do? And, I, you know, and I've got, and I know when I feel like that, what to do now. And it's like, right, put your trainers on, go for a run. And it was just in between the two lockdowns. So I went straight down the boxing club, got on the pads, got on the bag, and like exercised. And and I realised leading up to that that like a lot of people at the beginning of lockdown went into holiday mode, drinking every night. And it was like, I ain't got work tomorrow. It was like, oh, let's have a drink. And so I kind of curbed that and and was like, right, and and just done the things that I thought would help, and they did help. And but yeah, I do think the, the, the endless ream of, of a podcast recording it, it, the positives outweigh the negatives i think um the, what to me what shows through though is the sheer joy you have you know yeah. you said about the sheer joy you have when you're talking to people mm. so it's not it doesn't you know it nowhere near to the point where you're just doing it because you and and it, it, i've had I've, i mean i'm only i've just coming up to my 50th podcast soon which is um it's gone really quick, but even I had to take a little break uh, about a month ago or so. Um, I just had to stop for a few weeks and then start again. And um, Natasha rebranded it for me, and then I just needed a little bit of a new start. And I've got, but I'm really loving it again now. And I, um, I, I found as well that there's people, as you say, there's people. You, I didn't dream I'd ever speak to Lena Headey. You know, I didn't dream I'd have the Duchess of York, you know, and, and, and Bella uh, Freud and, and all these people that I just never imagined talking to, you know. And then what I found was it was just chatting to another human being. It isn't, you know, it's, it's nothing, you don't, um, there's nothing, it's, it's strange only in effect of how normal it is. But there's other, there's other people that I also, that I've, 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 I try and make sure I have a lot of volunteers on there and team leaders for Haircuts Homeless. And I've been all the way to Birmingham and we've done all this thing and thanks a lot, see you later. And it's not until I've had them on the podcast and spoke to them, I didn't really know them. And it's a wonderful opportunity to really sit down and get to know someone, isn't it? I, I say this 
to uh, a mutual friend of mine, Ben, and I said to him, and I created a podcast for him, um, and he was on it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I was like, you work in, you know, he's a he's a very sort of he's a big city type boy, and you know, it's all it's all you know, big money and recruitment and you know, banking and all that stuff. And and I said, you could go for a meeting with someone in a boardroom, and you could sit there and you could talk shop for for an hour and you walk out there shake hands and you'd be like okay if you sat in that room with two microphones and asked a few basic questions you will leave that room with a completely different relationship with that person because the minute you ask someone a question and there's a microphone there sometimes they're uncomfortable but it's your job to make them feel more comfortable and then then they start to open up and that's something that the, the biggest compliment I think you can get as a podcaster, and, and I don't mean to keep banging on about alcohol, Stu, but it's like when, when, when we get a, you know, a, someone to go, do you know what? That felt like I was down the pub with two mates listening. Yeah. And, like, and that, that is, you know, that kind of means that that felt like a comfortable, relaxed conversation, you know, where there was a connection there. And I think that's something that, you know, I just think there's a lot to be gained from podcasting, uh, you know, in regards to kind of just developing friendships and, and, and things like that, you know, like I, I fundamentally got to know you through podcasting, you know, you yeah. come on hardcore listing and, and then, you know, obviously, you know, was, you know, you've got your podcast, we share the same producer, you know, and you've had lots of, we've both had lots of the same guests on our, on our podcast and it's like, and it is that, that community and, and, you know, and, we all know so much about each other, yet it's not like, you know, we're spending Christmas together. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but we do all know lots about each other um, because because I think there's a lot of good people about it. And, and when you start talking to them, when you finish that podcast, you do feel like, well, we're friends. Yeah. You know, you know, we've given a lot to each other there. And, like, and I think that's a, a really lovely positive that, that you get from podcasting. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it opens up so many doors, as you say, you know. Completely, uh, completely. I found, um, it's interesting what you said about uh, mental health there, because as someone who's had a lot of problems with it over the years, um, this really this really does help me a lot. And um, but I could see what you were saying there about, like, there's, a, there's that loss. Because this year's a, it's, it's, this year's a fucker, and there's people really been struggling. I know a lot of people from my experience with um, addictions and things that, that a lot of people have fell off the wagon, you know, understandably. It's a very tough time like, for people that are struggling with addiction, I can imagine. Masses. It's really tough, you know, like um, there's, uh, I mean, I, I, even though I've been there a long time, but I still like go AA meetings, but there's not hardly any meetings and you, you haven't got that. You do Zoom, but that's one of the instances where you really do need that human sort of contact and that as well um but also that you know domestic violence is through the roof i've done that uh, that week where i did I, i've done a you and i've done i've done four four in one week i released that they um it just blew my my mind you know that the, the the bravery of these women um i'm learning so much as a this is it's also the not you know this week like taban Shuresh, like she, I, I, I could hardly speak doing that. 
that listening to her story about narrowly escaped being buried alive with her family, you know, uh, it's hard to continue talking when someone is that stuff. Uh, So I'm I'm grateful to this format, you know, this 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 media that medium. I think it it's incredible and it's bringing people together. It's a time when people need to share. And it is. And we live in a very fast-paced world, Stu, where, you know, I look at how my kids consume media and it's like Snapchat, you know, and Instagram is all so quick and, you know, and, and Spotify, it's not like you're walking down to Saxons to get your seven-inch single to then come back and put it on and look at the sleeve. By the time, you know, I've walked to Grays and back, you know, you can listen to like, 15 albums from 15 artists, you know, from all over the world. You know, it's all so fast-paced. And if you look at television, you know, if you like watching interviews on TV, you've got your Graham Norton's and your Jonathan Rosses, and, and, and the same with, like, radio interviews. You know, radio interviews, they've got to get the news on, they've got to get the adverts in, they've got to play the records. Uh, you walk to Graham Norton, what you plug in, give us an anecdote, let's have a quick chat, next guest. Podcasts, but how long is it going to last? As long as it lasts. Let's have a chat. Yeah. And like, and it feels like the world takes a breath on a podcast and it's like, there's no rush. Like, we can have a chat and we can, if the conversation wants to go there, it can go there. If you don't want to go there, just say. Like, it's like, I think it's just a long form conversation, which is something that, you know, I think people should do that more. You know, people should take time and listen and talk. And, and, and I think we do live in a world where, it moves very quickly. So to stop and have them chats, I think it's really important. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a brilliant point. That, that, that everything is so instantaneous now, isn't it? You know, even myself, I know I'm just, I flip, flip, flip. And as you say, you can listen to so many albums in that time, but do you really listen? You know, the amount of, you know, no. it's a flicking. Do you get to the end of a song, you know, do, before you flick to the next one? Whereas, as you say, you used to walk for an hour. <laughs> bring it home and then you'd really like you'd listen to it wouldn't you devour it mate completely devour it and like and and, and, I, and I, yeah i find that that you know i ask you know musicians all the time that when they make an album now do you still record that album to be a piece of art like a body of work like has it got a narrative and you know whereas because the buying habits now people go on itunes and they cherry pick the two they know Whereas, you know, we would grow up and we'd buy the album and the ones that we didn't really like first listen, by the time you'd listen to the album 10 times, you like them. Yeah. You know, and if you, you imagine trying to listen, you know, if you, Mar- Marvin Gaye put out what's going on and you had to only go and buy two tracks from it. It's like that album is a concept. It's a piece of art. You need to listen to it, you know, beginning to end. Yeah. And there's still lots of artists. I ask them, I'm like, you know, do you still create? And they're like, yeah, we want you know, our, our album to be a, a body of work. We don't write it for like five fillers and a couple of singles, like, but yeah. that is a lot of people's buying habits. And, you know, and the way that people listen on Spotify, you know, when you press play on Spotify, you've got a big thing above, you know, your music saying, listens also like this. And then you've also got, if you allow the thing, all the people that are on your social media, the feeds running down the side of your Spotify, what they're listening to, it's just distraction constant yeah. distraction and everything's so accessible and there's lots of positives in that make no mistake I use Spotify and you know having that you know open invitation to go and explore music is, is healthy um, 
and has turned me on to lots of new music. But it is always distraction. If you're on YouTube, you know, how long are you going to watch something before one of them things on the right-hand side of the screen saying, oh, what's that one? All right, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that, you know, because it is, it's just these distractions that are constantly there. And I think with a podcast, even with the radio, the radio is on. You know, you turn the radio on, and, and I do it. When I work in my little office, I put the radio on, and every now and again, someone just kind of prick me attention. I think, all right. But with a podcast, I choose to press play. Yeah. And and I think if you do that, chances are you're either in the car, you're commuting, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're at home and you've set aside some time for it. And, and I think you get – you know, you get caught up in in a in a you know a, an interesting conversation, a good conversation, a healthy chat, and and I think it's nice to kind of use that. And and Scrooby's bit calling his podcast distraction pieces. It's a fucking stroke of genius. I mean, I've banged on about that geezer's genius enough. I'm not going to massage his ego. He's going to listen to this, so uh, can't be can't be up your mates too much, can you? But uh, but yeah, it is. It's you know, it's a it's a lovely distraction. And, uh, you know, and it just, you can put the brakes on for an hour and just kind of listen to somebody else's story. Do you, do you listen to any of yours back? No. No. Ever? No, I've got a list and I say, uh, a lot and I say wonderful a lot. So, uh, I'm aware of that. So if I ever did, oh, I'd drive myself potty. You know? Fuck me, I've just said wonderful again. Um, <laughs> I've, I've li- I think I've listened to a couple. I, I, when I set the podcast up, I had one guest. I had two guests that I wanted to get, and they were my absolute dream guests. And one was uh, the musician guitarist Johnny Marr, and I've, I've not managed to get him uh, to guest yet. But there's a um, an actress called Maxine Peak who I'm oh, just yeah. obsessed. I, I just think she's wonderful, um, and I never thought it'd happen. And and she come on, and she was just an absolute fucking delight. And as you know, since then she's messaged me like loads, and she shares me podcast posts and that on socials, and it's like, oh my god, this is like someone as an artist I'm just so obsessed with, you know. And and then to meet, you know, to to meet her and talk to her, and her to be an absolute sweetheart, you know, smart, you know, just interesting, you know, kind, and it was like, oh. And I listened back to that one just because when it finished, I was in a bit of a daze and I was like, I need to listen back to that. And once I got it back from show, I slung it on and just to confirm that it did go really well. And she was as lovely as, as I, and, you know, I hope she will be. And yeah, it was, that was, that's the only time really I've listened back. Like, um, there's too many podcasts out there. Why do you listen back? I, I do all the time. Um, uh, Cause yeah. I, I just love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> but um, no, what it, what it is, mine are always sort of three or four weeks apart like, after I do them. So they're always three or four weeks later. So they tend to come up on my um, podcasting and um, I listen. So I've forgotten every, more or less everything I've said. Yeah. It's almost like I listen to them then as a, a, a as, as a, um, a, a listener, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm actually listening like a listener. Yeah. And I really do enjoy sometimes, you know, like um, uh, particularly like I just, I just re, re listened to, to Ben's one, you know, because it came out this week. 
and it blew me away. And I, because it was such a powerful thing that I hadn't even, I hadn't taken half of it on board. And then when it all came, you know, I was thinking, my God, did we talk about that? That's, that's incredible, like, you know. Um, but then I suppose mine is only weekly, so <laughs> you'd have a job yeah. to keep up with. <laughs> mine are hourly at the moment, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say yes, because I, 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 I texted you about something. I said, oh, when are you coming on my podcast, you old rascal? And then it was like next Tuesday. I went, oh, wow, blimey, I found an hour of time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm careful of it as well. We've got about five minutes. Because I know I did that to you. And I, I, I look back now, now that I do, do sort of dabble with a podcast, that I ranted for two hours in your show. <laughs> oh, mate, like, I, that, that's the thing. It's like, I, I have, like... I'm happy to sit and chat forever. It's like, I just, it's just, you know, right now, if I wasn't doing this, I'd literally be like, oh, what am I going to do? I might take the dog for a walk. You know, I might yeah. do that a bit later. But it's like, you know, it's only the same as if, you know, if we was out and I saw you, it'd be like, yeah. oh, let's have a catch up. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I've been a, you know, a big, a big fan of yours, Joe, and, 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 and the stuff you've done last week's, Last week's hardcore listing podcast um, was called Top Five Real Life Superheroes, uh, and you come in at number four, mate. Like, and uh, and yeah, we, we we spoke at length about what you, yeah we spoke at length about what you do, and uh, and yeah, Harry, Harry, all we are of of, uh, of yeah of your of what you've done with your life. It's amazing. Oh, I, I feel embarrassed that I never I've not listened to it. <laughs> That's when you said, will you come on next week? You said next Tuesday. I actually put, see you next Tuesday. You didn't get it. All right. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> well, soon as you spoke highly, I will make my kids listen to that one then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, the, and the number one is uh, another uh, lad from the area, um, a, a, a lad called Darren Garwood, um, who's, uh, who's wrote some books for his terminally ill son uh, called Jackson's Superhero. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about Jackson. Um, so there's a family from East Hillbury that I grew up with, and I was in bands with with, with one of the boys. And uh, and yeah, and 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 Darren had a a little lad called Jackson, and he's got a very very rare disease called Krabby's disease, K R A B B E. And uh, and they didn't expect him to sort of make his second birthday. I think, and I think Jackson's nearly six now. Uh, and but basically he, he can no longer talk, and you know he's got very limited movement. And uh, and Darren uh, basically had this idea that like, what does Jackson dream about? In his dreams, can he walk? Can he fly? Can oh, he? Man. And like and so he created this little superhero called Jackson Superhero, and it's his son. When he comes, you know, when he goes to sleep, he becomes a superhero. And uh, and, he, and he's it's an incredible family, and you know the the, the the you know the hardship that they, you know that something unfathomable to you know to all of us really must be to know that you know your child's time with you is limited must be you know unthinkable, and yeah to do something so positive and uh, and yeah he'd be he'd be a, a fascinating guest on on, on your podcast too, yeah. he's uh, and he, he's guested on. You know a few, um, and he's, he's he's got a good chat in him as well, and uh, and he's doing something really really lovely. Yeah, well, my my, you know, he's perfect for for mine because I just wanted to bring as many. Mine's very eclectic. I mean, I I probably haven't got any like 
people who like fans of it because it's like it's so over all over the place. But it's just people I just find fascinating that um, you know I try and get on for a chat. But um, I've got uh, I've got a great one I'm doing tomorrow. Is is I finally managed to get a previous homeless person. I've tried a few times and it's always been a bit chaotic and it hasn't worked out. But I've got someone tomorrow because I do want to really, I, I really want to focus and get some of the guys who are homeless or previous homeless and get them on. To, to I want people to understand what it's the reality of of it being like on the street and that as well. Um, and you know, I've come to love so many of the people out there, and it, it, you know, a lot of them are just really great people, just really bad luck. So. It, it, it's important for people to get their stories. And like the guy you just said, you know, an amazing thing to do, like, to, to be in that position with his child and then to think out the box, you know, to think outside and then to create that, it, you know, not everyone could do that. They'd be, they'd be too, like, that close to it all. It's amazing. Completely. Completely. I'll, I'll definitely introduce you to Dale because you're going on an ass on fire as well. He's, he's yeah, in such yeah. a... You know, it sounds sounds weird to sort of say this in in the context of what we just spoke about. But he's a really great laugh. You know, he's a really, yeah. really you know interesting, funny guy. And uh, and I'll, I'll definitely um, introduce you. But so I'm just fascinated by it. You know, because the nature of my podcast is, is I guess people that are you know in the public eye somewhat. But with with hardcore listening, we get to kind of have the conversations with people that you know, aren't in the public eye a lot of the time. And, and they're the ones that, and, and my favourite episode of Pip's podcast, to, to talk about Pip's briefly, um, is he had um, a woman on, I don't know if you ever listened to this one, uh, called Mira, who was sex trafficked. Uh, oh, yeah. Fucking hell. Like, I've never been so engrossed in a podcast, you know, and, and, and fair play to Pip. He's so fucking good at it. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, he's had everyone on that podcast, you know what I mean? The most famous people on the planet have been on his podcast. But, you know, that one blew me away. You know, no one knew who she was, but it didn't matter because her story was absolutely like, fascinating. And, and and again, you're saying like ex-homeless people, I'm just, you know, I, I'm always interested in like people that have come from, you know, hardship and, and, and can kind of find positives. And it's, I've never really, you know, I mentioned it once on the Hardcore Listing, but, um, like, uh, up until about five years ago, like, um, my wife and I, like, we, we fostered kids, um, and as did um, my wife's sister and her husband. Uh, and they, they, they're from Stanford. And uh, and we, we always sort of fostered, like, young kids at the time because they were the same age as our kids. And, we, you know, we wanted them to have kind of shared interests and stuff. And... Uh, but they they uh, fostered this girl who was at the time like fourteen, and there's a funny story attached to it. I'll tell the story because I like telling it. It's a sweet story. Uh, you you good for time, Stu? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you too. Yeah. Was it fine? <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's I mean she's one of my favourite people, and uh, and and she she'd come from a care system and had a. You know, like most kids in the care system, they'd have very traumatic backstory, and uh, and she had, and and uh, and basically, she went to live with them, and and it got to a, a, a prom at school, and she'd had a rough time at school. You know, they, they, she'd had to change schools, and 
you know, and and she was on sort of, you know, meds and bits and bobs for, you know, a, a, a few sort of uh, mental health, uh, you know, issues, I guess, um, if issues the right word to use, I don't know. Um, but um, it got to prom and she come round and we was like, um, we'll buy you a dress for you. Like, we'll get you dressed for your prom. And, uh, and so... You know, she sat me in there and my, my wife bought her dress for her. And then she phoned her mate up and she said, I've, I've just got my dress. And she was so excited. And uh, she probably was about 15, I guess. And, uh, and we heard her mate just go like, oh, that's great. And she said, like, have we got like one of the cars to go in? She said, oh, we have, but there's no room for you. And she, you know, I mean, it's a proper Cinderella thing. And she was just like, oh, all right, Okay. And like you could tell, she was just crushed, but just uh, was so used to rejection and hardship. Just shed that coping mechanism for oh, I, I was like, fucking hell! Like kids can be so horrible, and so I thought, right, I'm going to do something here. And at the time, I was managing the one of the stars of the Inbetweeners, and uh, and Inbetweeners was like probably the biggest comedy on TV at this time. Yeah. And uh, and he played, do you watch The Inbetweeners? I love it. Right, so it was Jay. Right. And uh, and so I phoned him up, I went, James, can you do me a favour? And he was like, what? And I went, will you take my niece to a prom? <laughs> and, like, and I told him the backstory. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, of course I will. I was like, fucking get in. And so I said, cops, don't worry. Like, um, can have a word and like me, my brother-in-law borrowed his mate's Porsche right. and we said right we've got a Porsche and Jay from the in-betweens is going to take you to your prom and uh, honestly Joe like we pulled up it was at the plough on the 128 I know yeah yeah I know and there was like all of these big like hummers and bloody limos like all pulling up little red carpet out the front all the mums and teachers all on the red carpet trying to get a photo of their lip and going in and we sort of in we got and, and we pulled up and got by the red carpet and she said in because basically she'd also said that she told her mates that Jay was going to take her to the prom and she said all the boys in the class were like fuck off like and just gave her a load of shit and just said she was like you know just took the piss out of her yeah so she gets out Everybody's standing there with their cameras taking photos of their kids, and all of a sudden, Jay from the Inbetweeners gets out of a Porsche with Courtney, who looked beautiful, by the way. And, and literally, you just heard all of them go, oh, It's Jay from the Inbetweeners. And then you see all of these lads that gave her shit come running out. It was a converted fire engine, this one, this like limo type thing. And they all come running over, and they were like, Jay, 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 can I have a photo? And he just went, jog on, boys, I'm with Courtney, and just walked in. <laughs> and you just think, and it, do you know what, Stu? It's superficial <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But life's a superficial time when you're 15. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought, if that can get her going into college as being, that's the girl that Jay from the in-between has took yeah. to the prom, if that can give her an head start where yeah, people yeah. might be a little bit kinder and not judge her on her previous, you know. Yeah, yeah fucking brilliant it was like and she then went on to go to university and get a degree in art and you know and has just excelled and it's like 
that 14-year-old girl from the care system that come into our lives has then gone on to get a degree in art and like and forge a life for herself and become fiercely independent, like, you know, their stories that I'm interested in. The prom things are a bit of fun and the cherry on top, but yeah. just people that, you know, come from adversity that can then just go, I could have just curled up in a ball or I could have just gone down that road. I could have done that, but this is what happened, you know, through all manner of reasons, but this is where, you know, I've ended up. And like, and that, them stories interest me more than, you know, what what Madonna thought when she first went on top of the pops. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're good yeah. stories to have, but, you know, there's a lot more sewing in, you know, hearing them sort of chats. Do you know what I mean? It is. It's, um, it, it, it's breathtaking, it, you know, and it's just the fact that, that that a little thing, and that's the, a little thing. Well, that was quite a big thing, but even a little thing can make such a difference in someone's life. Yeah. And it's almost like people get a bit lethargic about it, saying, you know, oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that. Just do a little thing, and all those things add up. And you don't know how that's going to turn someone's life. Um, you know, well, I've, I've, see there again, look, over an hour, I think, yeah, over an hour. It like it, it's great, isn't it? Like, I, I, just, I, I just love doing this. Um, it takes me out of myself. I'm a selfish, self-seeking, arrogant prick <laughs> most of the day. Uh, and then occasionally I, I do this and listen to someone else. Yeah. And recognise that in them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Love it. <laughs> so on that note, my friend. <laughs> oh, Stu, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. It really, really has. Thanks, it. man. <laughs> Thanks for your time. See you soon, boss. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.